The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. Another episode this week. Ending May, beginning June 2018. This is your loyal American Muslim correspondent. Your, the place I hope you come to listen to a voice of reason. A voice of an American Muslim that is uh, not afraid to take on the most controversial issues of the day. That not only affect our country, but I think are one of the most important issues affecting the world, which is what is happening within the House of Islam? How do we in the West that live in freedom push the envelope to demand equality, demand universal human rights? And what are the issues of the day that we can do to test our Muslim brothers and sisters with love, with a tough love that doesn't give them this bigotry of low expectations where we sort of ignore the tribalisms, the misogyny, the anti-Semitism, and the hate that often is peddled in their name by radicals and orthodoxy. So before I get into a few things I wanted to talk about, I thought one of the best things, you know, I thought one of the important things that we should look at is commencement. And I certainly had this on the mind this week because I was honored to give the commencement address at one of the local high schools here in Phoenix, Arizona. And as I prepared some of my thoughts of what I thought I should talk to these graduates about, um, and again, it doesn't matter if you're speaking to high school kids, college, graduate school students graduating from medical school, law school, PhDs, whatever it might be, uh, the future of our country rests in the educated, those who understand that information is power and what we do with that information can change the world to the better or to the worse. So I wanted to, if you can give me a few moments in the most of the program today, share with you what I thought are things that are important to this graduating high school class, class of 2018. So to the class of 2018, you know, you think, most of these kids graduating are 17, 18 year olds. So the last time they were one of the first cohorts of babies being footprinted and handprinted by their parents in the 21st century. And now their baby books may be opened again as they graduate from high school. So they were the first generation to be born in this century to be graduating from high school. And they are now the last generation, a cohort, to have been alive during 9-11. From now on, most of those students graduating from high school in 2019, 2020, and on will have been born after 9-11. And I think there is nothing more revealing. There's nothing that shows sort of this dichotomy that this is the leading generation that will bring us into the 21st century. 
you know, last century, Tom Brokaw and others, uh, Tom Brokaw wrote a book about it, but the greatest generation was that generation that fought World War II. That, that war that ultimately fought against evil in Europe, against Hitler and the defeat of Nazism, against dictators and fascists from Italy to Japan, and left us freer brought Europe back to its democratic roots that the revolutions in the 17th, 18th century led to. And I think ultimately that generation that was the greatest generation was born in the beginning of the 20th century. And I do feel, and I don't think it's a stretch, if you look at the Arab awakening and what's been evolving while there have been many opportunities that you and I have talked about in this podcast that the Arab Awakening has brought, it has also brought vacuums that have brought us back many centuries in Syria, in Egypt, and elsewhere. So, as we look at this, what possibly may be the greatest generation in the next century, why? They may be confronted with, and I do believe that Islam is in that time of history in which you are going to see no different than the time in which in the 30 years war you saw 8 million people if not more die in Europe fighting really religiously centered wars and I don't think Islam is going to and the Muslim population especially the establishment of it is going to come mildly and come slowly and violently peacefully into modernity into relinquishing power into secular liberal democracy but rather as you can see in syria as you can see in iran saudi arabia that oppressive forces will continue to try to win out and i ultimately think that the west will continue to be collateral damage because the message no matter how non-interventional no matter how isolationist the west tries to be ultimately the biggest threat to Muslim theocrats or Islamists, the biggest threat to military dictators in the Middle East is those who yearn for freedom, is the messaging of freedom that comes from the West. So I think this time in history will continue to be challenged. I think that this generation now born today is going to be ultimately called upon to stand for freedom, to stand for liberty, to protect the democracies of the world against aspiring Islamic theocracies, against hegemonic forces from Iran to Syria to Saudi Arabia to Pakistan to Afghanistan and other countries of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. But that's not the only force of evil that is trying to spread. We know that China and its oppressive greater than one billion population that's being oppressed by a ruthless dictatorship is also threatening American interests both in a kleptocratic fashion and also in a immoral corrupt fashion. Russia has seen its test of the West through its belligerence in Ukraine, in Syria, and its support of our enemies in Iran. So this generation will be tested. We just finished Memorial Day. I talked to you last week about the obvious conflicts between wanting to die 
for a country like America, which unites all equally under the Constitution, versus jihad, versus militancy that believes that dying simply for a militant theocratic expression is somehow preferable to dying for an American flag, dying for our Constitution. That is the battle of the 21st century. And as youth begin to get their identity, we now also are in the midst of Ramadan. We sacrifice food, drink, water, and the pleasures of life from sunrise to sunset in order to prove our humility before God and to prove that we are thankful for what we have. So I can tell you that in this Ramadan, I have never been more thankful to be an American. So to the commencements, to those of you, as I told these graduating seniors, the generation which, and this is a quote from Jefferson to Adams, he said, the generation which commences a revolution rarely completes it. Habituated from their infancy to passive submission of body and mind to their kings and priests, they are not qualified when called on to think and provide for themselves and to be their inexperience and their ignorance and their bigotry make them instruments often in the hands of the Bonapartes to defeat their own rights and their purposes, unquote. So to me, there's, nothing, there's no quote that speaks to the youth, to the next generation that will lead, than one that talks about how Jefferson, when I, my, my favorite founding father, who not only created the underpinnings of the foundations of religious liberty in our Constitution, religious liberty, but he talked about how monarchs, autocratic monarchs, as that's why I highlighted here, to the kings and priests, how the kids who are going to be the followers of a, gener of a generation of a revolution that are not passive anymore, that have not submitted anymore to the kings and the priests. And that's what my work here is about, right? We're, I talk to you every day about pushing back against autocratic monarchs in Saudi Arabia and Dubai in the Emirates and Jordan and elsewhere, that they might be well-intended, but ultimately the punishment and brutality of a society that, that wields power by suppressing free thinking will never succeed and ultimately is not human, is not universally respected, and I don't believe is Islamic. But that has yet to be proven as which Islam. The Islam of the 7th century, the Islam of the 10th century, or the Islam of medieval oppressive 21st century Islamists who are still a thousand years behind us. New opinions, as I told these graduates, new opinions are always suspected and usually opposed without any other reason but because they are not already common. That's not my quote, that's John Locke's quote. And when we come back, I want to talk to you how John Locke, I believe, epitomized some of the reforms. And I think as we look at the next generation, whether I'm speaking to Muslims, non-Muslims, whoever it may be, as we look at the next generation, it is their ability to speak truth to power, to question authority that will be the future of this century. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. 
Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. Isn't that the same argument we've had about guns? Access to guns versus criminals or bad people. Because otherwise you start prom- uh, punishing everybody. So you're going to make it more difficult for that veteran who truly needs some sort of prescription. They have to jump through extra hoops. They have the extra problems, the extra scrutiny when they're they're doing the right thing. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jesser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. This week I'm taking a step back from the hot topics of the day and shedding, giving you a little window into um, a commencement speech that I gave to a small group of uh, local high school graduates here in Phoenix. And I think in that message is not only a message, I think, to Muslims in the future that need to lead and push back on some of the most immovable forces in humanity, such as some of the governments in the Middle East, such as the Islamist groups that dominate and oppress our populations. But also, I think that that strength speaks to all people, speaks to all people of integrity, of honesty, that uh, are trying to uh, gauge what our responses should be in this social cultural clashes and more divisive conversations that we're having so i'll go on i told them i said as i mentioned john locke's statement that new opinions are always suspected and usually opposed without any other reason but because they are already common because they're not already common so anytime you have a new idea as those of you who follow me know that somehow saying that islam can separate mosque and state is a new idea the islamists say oh i'm trying to deceive people that you know islam is the problem and i'm an islamophobe then there's those on the other side of the spectrum that say no it's i am lying to you that ultimately islam is not reformable it is black and white so this idea is obviously not common And as John Locke said, new opinions will always be suspected and usually opposed, but because they are not common. So, graduates, don't let anyone tell you you're not qualified. Don't let anyone tell you that because your idea didn't exist, it can't be strong, it can't be true. I have been told so many times that because I am not a legal expert in Islam and have a degree in Sharia that I can't have an opinion about the law, that I can't have an interpretation of what is and what is not my Islamic law. And I believe that it is by virtue of modernization that individuals have a right to reason that if people disagree with me, Muslims need to express their disagreement in a rational refutation of the arguments that I make. So, Don't let the bully shut you down. Don't be intimidated. Don't ultimately step away from a battle of ideas, but also don't walk into a mess in which people let you get sucked into things that are beneath you and not based on a reason argument. So often I find myself attacked because of who I am, not because of what I say. 
And the who I am is not who I define myself, but how they try to define me as an outsider, as a pejorative, an Uncle Tom, a, a native informant, whatever other pejorative and racist terms they try to use to marginalize the work that I do, they never the Islamists, the antagonists from the Saudi, the Saudi Wahhabis to the Salafi jihadis in Pakistan, to the anti-American separatists in America, they will say that I am an, the enemy of Islam, I am anti-Islam. But we refute them through knowledge, we refute them through reason. And to the graduates, knowledge is power. It's not about how many degrees are after your name. It's about the facts and your handle on them. As Ben Shapiro has been frequent to say, you're entitled to your opinions, but not to your facts. And it's a great, I think, statement to remind everybody that we can argue about which facts are more correct, how we came to those understandings. But attacking another person by virtue of simply saying that he is a bigot or what he or she or whatever it is uh, uh, doesn't have a right to an idea is a tribal mechanism of elitism is a mechanism of trying to say that somebody because of money because of power of position because of tribal leadership whatever it might be does not have a right to their own opinions we also must learn what time in history we live in we can't just react to what happened yesterday or last week. We have to see the trajectory of who we are because that's what legacy is. And I worry that this generation now, you ask them what legacy is, do they think it's the fourth stage of Fortnite, a video game that millions of youngsters and people 10 to 40 are playing right now? No, legacy is about what you leave behind after you die. Legacy is about the imprint you had in pushing tipping points of change in society. One person can do quite a bit to change, but ultimately it takes a movement. And one of the other things I mentioned to these graduates is, how many people does it take to change society, to move us into a direction of metamorphosis? It's called the 10% rule. That rule is actually pretty new. In 2011, scientists rushed to study what were the social cognitive networks that changed in the Middle East, especially during revolutions. And according to their study at the Rensselaer Polytechnical Institute, they found that the answer was 10%. Once 10% of a population is committed to an idea, it's inevitable that it will eventually become the prevailing opinion of the entire group. So the key is to remain committed. When the number of committed opinion holders is below 10%, there's no visible progress in the spread of ideas. It would literally take the amount of time comparable to the age of the universe for the size of group to reach the majority, said the director of the institute. But once the number grows above 10%, the idea spreads like a flame, and it happens within no time. We saw this in Tunisia. They studied it in Syria, Egypt, Yemen, Libya. That revolution started to rumble and grow 
but they did not become palpable and did not ultimately push and almost, if not topple, these regimes until you had 10%. Once it became 10%, it almost became a fait complete. And we have seen this even in democracies, that it's harder to wage an understanding of what is or what is not change. Look at the Tea Party's influence in the conservative movement. Obamacare was the beginning of that influence in which conservatives said, we need to respond to the socialization of American medicine and the attempt by the president and his party to change medicine and begin to socialize medicine. And they said, in the metaphor of the Tea Party, no taxation without representation, and that movement began and ultimately had a huge change upon the political framework, the political fabric of America. And most of the evidence was that it was about 10% of the Republican Party that initially got involved in that. The Trump movement, very different from the Tea Party, possibly had some overlap, obviously. What percent of the Republican Party, of conservatives, were involved in initially creating enough momentum for President Trump to get elected? The examples are numerous. Ultimately, I tell the graduates, act locally, think globally. That's what legacy is. If you want to change, look at what needs to be changed, where the biggest impact can have. And this is why I focused on the separation of mosque and state, because defeating Islamism, I believe, is where the root of change will occur. That ultimately, that if that does not happen, I do not, and I still firmly now, 15 years after our organization formed in 2003, I still do not believe that the left, the right, the West, the East will ever get their handles, their hands around the handles of defeating radical Islam unless Muslims proceed through reformation into modernity and away from theocracy. That's what I believe my legacy, I hope, will be. What is your legacy? Your dreams will change. Your dreams may not be what your first thought was. You're going to have millions of ideas. Have options. Because even if you go through your first, second, third, fourth, and fail and fail, ultimately, even if you get to your sixth or seventh choice of dreams, you've still succeeded where millions of others you didn't try but you persisted in that one. So to the graduates, when I come back, I want to talk to you about the American dream and your dreams. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. I mean, that's got it. You're talking millions of packages it's every day. Too. How many times does somebody pick up? They're like, ah, oh, what is this? It's goo. It's green goo. What is going on? I mean, for the average worker that's grabbing the packages, let me. don't you think that's like once a day that you're like, God, yeah. and then once a yeah. month, you're like, this was goo like I've never yeah, seen that's before. <laughs> the morning blaze weekday morning, six to nine Eastern on the blaze radio network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. 
This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. I'm finishing out this segment with my message to graduating high schoolers. And in this commencement address, I talk to them about their dreams. Stick to their dreams. Don't let anybody tell you, as I talk to them, don't let anybody tell you what can be or cannot be your dreams. To me and my family, we were fortunate. I was blessed to have parents that escaped now war-torn Syria, but one of the worst regimes in the last hundred years that existed under the father Hafiz and then Bashar Assad. And I would not have been who I am today had my family not come to become American. They felt American the moment they stepped on American soil because the essence of the American dream is that everyone has an opportunity to work hard, to be part of free markets, to create, to be human, and to try to succeed. And yes, they, they, they not only succeeded immensely, but gave me the opportunities that I could not have had anywhere else. But they also failed. And the only way you succeed is through failure. Now, the success of your dreams will be challenged by your ability to maintain your identity rooted in your love of faith and your love of country and your love of this legal system that protects you and every individual. A society that is a republic that is based on the rule of law, based in reason, is one that is worth dying for. And I think ultimately this is what we learn not only every year through Memorial Day, but also, as you finish this stage of your education and you go on to college education and graduate, you realize the importance of knowledge. We're starting to be challenged by the weaponization of dark information. And I can tell you as a Syrian-American, I'm hearing from folks who I thought were educated and knowledgeable who yet, with all the evidence before them, are asking me things that I just could not ever believe could be asked based on the evidence of chemical attacks based on the evidence of war crimes being done in Syria by the Assad regime, by Hezbollah, by Iran, and yes, by ISIS, by radical Sunni extremists. But at the end of the day, the weaponization of dark information, if it overshadows, if it drowns out the bandwidth of good information, we will lose despite all the water to drink. So the sayings from the literature that water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink is what's happening to the internet today. Do you as graduates know how much you don't know? You'll never know how much you don't know. So ultimately I think peace will come to, has come to me as I simplified things. I, I think you can look differently at Egypt and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia and Syria and America and then you compartmentalize things to the point of complexity that you can't understand. Or you can simplify it and say, you know what? Yeah, the cultural differences might vary quite a bit from country to country, but ultimately the Muslim nature is going through a struggle with modernity. The Muslim nature is going through a struggle of identity in which it either bonds to a theocratic collective tribal mentality of Islamic orthodoxy against this secular military machine or it bonds to 
that secular identity now. Is there a third path of liberty, freedom, individual rights? That is what we're trying to teach our youth. That is a new idea. That is a new idea that needs to be tested, needs to be defended. And I learned in America, as I went and initially I was deployed on the USS El Paso. I, I worked not only as, as I was the physician on the ship as a Muslim, the deck officer was Jewish, the CO was Catholic, the XO was Protestant, the supply officer was Mormon, cryptographer uh, was Buddhist, on and on. There were unbelievable diversity of faith, diversity of ideas, and to the youth I tell you today, surround yourself by people you disagree with, not only on faith, you disagree with on cultural issues, on music, on, on art. You disagree with on politics. You disagree with on not only the issues of the day, but the issues of debate. But surround yourself by people you trust, by people you find moral, and reject those who are corrupt, who are immoral, and who will exploit you or bully you or seem to have a backwards, if not an absent, moral character so i believe your character will be defined by your ability not only to ask questions but to question by by your belief that you must absorb ideas as you question them as you embrace them because an idea questioned is an idea that will be more fully embraced an idea not questioned and simply absorbed is one that you will shed much more quickly and last, I said to the parents, they didn't need me to tell them this, but as Walter Williams said, a caged canary is safe, but it is not free. So being human is the ability to create, to, you know, I, I mentioned to them that it's amazing, you know, the folks at Harvard and Cornell and elsewhere think that, oh, we can modernize the Middle East. Let's pull schools of medicine, of engineering. But what should amaze you? And what should not be surprising is that these dictatorships don't want schools of journalism, of humanities and arts and music and philosophy and literature, because those are the types of educations that will threaten their regimes. So be the 10%. Let your children be the 10%. When they go out, they might fail. Yes, they're no longer safe, as safe as they were under your roof, but ultimately that freedom will let them become part of the next generation's legacy. And I think what is so uniquely American is that we try not to get in each other's way. I told my high school teachers when I saw them back in, in a reunion that, that ultimately thank you for not getting in my way and allowing me to be myself. So my parting thoughts to the graduates was always have alternative plans through your millions of choices, even if you get in the top six or seven, you have done well from the odds perspective. Don't let the measure of your dreams and successes be predetermined. You will always look back and say, I promise you're going to look back and say, I never would have thought I was going to go into this or do this. Stand your ground. Believe in reason and the confidence of your own ideas. Don't let anybody intimidate you based on degrees, money, education, elitism. Own it. Don't be a victim. It's always easy to be a victim and find a reason to blame others. And help the downtrodden. Help those who are weaker. Whatever you do, hold on to your courage. Because ultimately, 
this is from Ralph Walder Emerson. Whatever course you decide upon, there will always be someone to tell you that you are wrong. Your dreams will always be your reality, and nobody can take that away from you. So to this graduating class, I think possibly set to be the greatest generation for the next generation, for the next century. God bless you. Thank you for all that you do. And to the parents, thank you for raising some of the greatest kids, the greatest leaders in the future on the planet. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll come back. We'll deal with a couple lighter issues on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. China does not have $20.2 trillion in debt. They're not $20 trillion in debt. And we're giving them, even though we're in debt, money to help them develop so they can have a stronger economy and country. Unbelievable. China, we owe them money. Yeah. And now we're giving them money to help them out. The morning blaze. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. In our last segment, I'm going to step back. You know, on social media this week, we have heard, I think I've, I've heard more apologies about things than I, I, I can even stomach. And you know what I'm talking about if you're on social media, if you're even paying attention to any television this week. And this is not just about Roseanne, uh, but obviously that was one of them. And then we've seen uh, the uh, previously the White House Correspondents' Dinner demanding uh, apologies. We've seen uh, then uh, horrific comments from Samantha Bee, from Sally Field. We've seen uh, resignations of politicians, of congressmen and women, uh, mostly congressmen that have resigned because of uh, uh, behaviors that are just corrupt and immoral. Now we see the governor of Missouri is uh, is resigning. The list goes on and on. And soon, as they get cornered and cornered and cornered, they ultimately will apologize. As they lose more and more money, they then often will apologize. As they are become looked upon as pariahs, they will apologize. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who is criticized or put in a certain position needs to apologize it is based on the facts of the matter if what was said or done is racist is bigoted then they need to own up to it so i would tell you that what i wanted to talk to you about isn't the nature isn't the the specifics related to one comment because it's easy for anyone with three brain cells working to see something that uh, uh, mocks a person's appearance, that uh, looks at somebody's uh, racial nature, religious nature in a way that is is uh, bigoted. Bigotry speaks for itself and is obvious. But what I do want to talk about is the nature of an apology. Because if apologies become currency that is done on a day-to-day basis with every other tweet, 
What use is that? As I was raised as a child, and I hope to raise my kids to believe this, is that an apology is something that if you're having to do a lot of it, then it shows that your character is faulty enough that you cannot be trusted. So the apology probably doesn't mean much. So if you're only doing it occasionally, it's not about owning up to a mistake. A mistake is something that you slip because you weren't thinking. A mistake is something that's human because you just slipped and you weren't paying attention or you had an error and, and, and just released information that was not thought through. But most of the times, apologies that we're talking about are related to three elements. And I think this should apply to celebrities, politicians, or even our children, or our parents, or ourselves when we realize that we've made a horrific error or an act that was inhuman. What are those three things? Number one, an apology is real and genuine and honest when we own up to the fact that we did it and nobody for no reason didn't do it. So when Joy Reid tried to blame her stuff on hacking, that is not an apology. She tried to blame somebody else. If you try to blame Ambien, that's not an apology. So number one, you actually have to own the act and you have to own the nature of its evil, of the sin. So simply saying that, well, I didn't mean it this way or whatever, you're not really own that's not an apology i don't even want to hear that if you're saying you didn't mean it you're trying to minimize and preserve your own character by saying that it was really just a mistake so you own the act and you own the nature of it so then if you own the nature does that make you then a complete failure no the second step is to say that you admit which part of your nature led to the act so you say you know what i have had some tendencies or some problems with a b or c and last you say i honestly admit that this is what i'm going to do to rectify this and make sure it doesn't happen again and prove to those that i have hurt or those that i have wounded that i am going to never do this again so owning the act admitting what part of your own nature led to it and third talking about how that will never happen again and what you're going to do to make sure it never happens again this is not rocket science i've you know uh in my work in medical ethics in my work with uh, professionalism in medicine we see physicians who fail who end up um, using drugs who end up committing crimes they need to come back to make a living they own up to it if we see physicians who make excuses that will often not be a pathway towards them being able to continue to practice. But if they're contrite, own up to rehab, own up to what they need to do, then that is something believable and everybody deserves a second and sometimes a third chance. Same thing on, on anyone in our lives. Your friends, they lie to you, they deceive you, they own up to it, they express the, they, they admit the reason they did it, and obviously we forgive them. The hardest thing sometimes is to forgive. So on the other side of the apology is actually if somebody meets those three steps, if we are not forgiving, then I also think there's a lack of humanity. I've talked to 
many in the Jewish community that I, I, I am just in awe at when you talk to them about the Holocaust and you go through the museum and you see the nature of many in the rabbinical tradition or others who teach forgiveness. If there's anything I could not, I could not see ever being forgiven is an act as horrific as the fascistic annihilation of a single class, of a single group of people, as what was attempted by the Nazis, by Hitler. And yet, many in the Jewish community talk about forgiveness. Many sermons have been given about that. Obviously, uh, there is a nature to humanity to move forward and not let the sins of the father or the parents be the sins of the children, so we move on as we grow and we make allowances to make sure that never happens again. And never again is a apt theme to prevent and learn from the Holocaust so that it never happens to anyone again. But apologies, apologies can only be real when they admit the error when they take ownership and when they look forward to how it will never happen again. So I think those are, those are three standards that can apply to a people, Germany as a country, that can apply to human beings that we meet and we get to know and we love as friends, in families, to our children, our parents, to societies, to celebrities who claim they want us to, to support their apology, to support their redemption, to support their contrition. But stop it with the Twitter apologies that say that, oh, this is not what I meant, or this was a mistake, I should have never done it. Stop it with the superficial cheapening of what an apology really is. Because there should be no more humble act to a people, to a society, to your community than a genuine apology filled with contrition. So, that's my pedestal for for this week. And I think, obviously, I take these uh, I take these concepts week to week into my work in reform. As uh, we hear, you know, I, I did a piece on El Hurra this week where there was a sex scandal that has broken out in one of the schools in Tehran. And one of the lead clerics has been exposed for their not only showing pornography to the kids at this school, but then sexually assaulting many of the kids in this religious school in Tehran. The parents are the ones who are finally getting the government and the Islamic Supreme Council because the teacher involved in this was one of the Quran reciters for the Islamic Supreme Council and Khomeini himself, the Islamic Supreme Leader of Iran. Well, he was actually also called out on these types of crimes and then acquitted in January. Now, the parents released videos that showed this, this, this horrific cleric talking about it and obviously showing affected uh, kids who were suffering as a result of these crimes against humanity. 
and now the government is claiming that it will go ahead and move forcefully and who knows they may end up soon executing him um, which sounds like it may be deserved but at the end of the day Iran has executed over 500 journalists and innocents who are seeking to be free who wanted free speech and to have expressions and yet now why are they moving so quick because look back in Syria the Syrian revolution started when children at a high school were abused and dominated by the government so we see Islamist theocrats and clerics from Tariq Ramadan to Tehran to the Islamist cleric in Dallas that now was trying to apologize for some of his indiscretions on and on the nature of an apology I think is a key aspect to knowing who you should trust and who you shouldn't this is Zudi Jasser thanks for joining me again this week look forward to being with you again next week on reform this reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the blaze radio network